Good morning and welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. My name is Dwayne Spearman and today is October the 21st. Hope you and yours are doing well. We have been working our way through the book of Acts, um, chapter number 25, last time we were together. Um, this is a teaching ministry and it's designed to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. And we're doing that now by working our way through the Acts of the Apostles. So Acts chapter number 25, yesterday we covered verses 1 through 8. So just for a little bit of review, let's read that so that we can stay in context. Now, when Festus was come into the province, after three days he, atten- he ascended from Caesarea uh, to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul, and he besought him. Get my uh, my stuff going over here. And desired favor against him that he would send him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea, and he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which are among you, are able, go down with me, and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down into Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews, which came down from Jerusalem, stood round about and laid many grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. And while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. Remember, what the Jews were accusing Paul of was that he was teaching that the Jews did not have to keep the law of Moses, they did not have to circumcise their children, and walk in the customs. And Paul has repeatedly explained that he uh, was not teaching against the law of the Jews. They also accused him of profaning the temple. Um, And, of course, telling people they didn't have to keep the law of Moses, which means they did not need to keep the sacrifices in the temple. Paul said, I haven't done any, any of these things, nor yet against Caesar. I haven't offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go to Jerusalem and be there judged of these these things? Um, Yesterday, we wrapped up in verse number 8 when Paul defends himself and says, I haven't done any of these things. Uh, I haven't told the Jews to stop obeying the law of Moses, nor to stop circumcising their children or walk them in the customs. Um, this has uh, some some pretty severe ramifications for those who believe that the church was born in Acts chapter number 2, because Paul here is vehemently denying that he is teaching against these things. Why would Paul the Apostle be preaching the law of Moses? Why would Paul the Apostle still be telling people they need to circumcise their children and to walk in the customs? Well, the answer is simple, Um, and you can only come to one of three conclusions. Either Paul was under the law, and thus so are we as well, and of course that's the bedrock. Uh, Let me get my scriptures up over here. That's the bedrock of of covenant theology today. 
but it disregards the clear teachings of the book of Galatians, where Paul clearly says we're not under the law of Moses. We don't have to, to, to keep the law. Um, so either that's what it means, that Paul was under the law and so are we as well, or it means Paul was not under the law and he was just lying. Everything he said right there was a lie um, because he denied teaching against the law of the Moses. So he was lying. He, he denied um, teaching that the, the children shouldn't be circumcised. When, you know, I mean, either he was lying or he was really under the law. Or the third answer, and I believe the answer that is the, the most accurate, is that Paul was under the law because he was a Jew and he was living when the kingdom was still being offered to the Jewish nation. And at the same time, Paul taught a personal salvation from sins outside of the law of Moses according to the revealed mystery that had been given to him. You see, this was a period. You, the book of Acts must be viewed as a time of transition. It is a, a transition from Peter to Paul, from Jerusalem to Antioch, from the offer of the kingdom and, and the age of grace. It has to be viewed that way. This was a unique period in which Israel is slowly diminishing because they are rejecting, continuing to reject their king and their kingdom. That's why Paul said in Romans eleven twelve. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles. What is he talking about, the diminishing? In other words, it was not a sharp divide between the two dispensations. Instead, it was a slow diminishing. The kingdom was being offered. It was offered first in Acts chapter number 2. It was not offered in the Gospels, as many say. Jesus, Jesus, John the Baptist, the apostle said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is nigh. It is at hand. It could not have been, um, <coughs> it could not, <coughs> excuse me, it could not have been legitimately offered until after the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And we're told that in Hebrews chapter number nine, a testament is not in effect until after the death of the testator. While the testator is still alive, the testament cannot be in effect. In other words, the offer of the new covenant could not have been made until after the death of the testator. It's just like our last will and testament. It is not in effect until after we die. Um, there's some verses, let's see, Hebrews chapter number 9. Let me find those verses, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Um, Hebrews chapter number 9. Um, here we go. There it is. For, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. Who's he? The Lord Jesus that by the means of his death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament. In other words, Jesus had to die uh, 
in order to provide redemption from the transgressions that were made under the First Testament. That had to happen before he could offer the New Testament. They which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no; it has no strength while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. In other words, both of the testaments were dedicated in blood. So, in order for the new covenant or the new testament to be offered, there had to be a blood sacrifice. So, Christ could not have offered the new testament prior to the crucifixion. So it didn't happen in the Gospels. When did it happen? The book of Acts. Acts chapter number 2. So Acts must be viewed as a transitional book. That's why I take what is called a mid-Acts interpretation. I haven't always, but I do now. I take a mid-Acts interpretation of the book of Acts. And I say mid because it couldn't, it didn't happen. The gospel of grace didn't appear until it was revealed to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wasn't converted until Acts chapter number 9. And somewhere between Acts chapter number 9 and Acts chapter number 13, middle of Acts, we, Paul, receives the mystery that was hidden, that was revealed only to him, somewhere in the middle of Acts. In Acts 13.38, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So Paul preached, yes, both a kingdom gospel. John didn't do this. Those guys preached a kingdom gospel and a kingdom gospel only. So do not open up 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, Jude, and Revelation and try to find the grace gospel. It's not there. Because those guys did not preach it. Only Paul preached it. He preached both kingdom gospel and grace gospel. But what he's being accused of here is that he is preaching the grace gospel to the Jews. And Paul is vehemently denying that. Not here, but back in, uh, back in Acts uh, chapter number uh, uh, 25. Uh, Paul is saying, I did not preach the grace gospel to the Jews. He was still preaching the kingdom gospel to the Jews as long as the kingdom offer was still on the table. But of course, the nation was slowly rejecting it. And Israel was diminishing. So we have to go with number three here. Paul was preaching both. And then notice in verse number nine, But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things for me? before me? The word but means that Festus knew that Paul was innocent but still chose to do, to do the Jews a favor and drag it out for a trial in Jerusalem. It is obvious that Festus is pandering uh, to the Jews for political gain. I don't know about you, but I dislike most politicians with a passion because that's what they do. They stick their finger in the air and they see which way the wind is blowing. 
That's what Felix is, has done. That's what Festus is getting ready to do. Uh, he's pandering to the Jews, and rightfully so, because we are on the cusp historically of the War of the Jews. The Jews would rebel. Uh, after Festus would, would come Albinus, and after Albinus would come Florus, Florus who were other governors that replaced those Felix and, and Festus, and it would end up in a complete Jewish rebellion that the Romans would have to put down in 70 AD. So rebellion was already in the air, and Festus was trying to uh, pander to the Jews for political favor. And then notice in verse number 10, Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, for I ought to be judged, or where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. Paul, knowing his rights as a Roman citizen, makes it clear that he did not want to be a part of Festus's political games, and that, and that Felix knew well, or Festus is what that should say, and that Festus knew well that he had done nothing wrong. You know that I've done nothing wrong, uh, as thou very well knowest. In actuality, Festus had nothing concrete that would demand that the trial continue. You remember back in Acts 25, 25, but, but when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, so that wasn't back, that was before, uh, that's after this when he's talking to um, Bernice and Agrippa. He says, I have found that he committed nothing worthy of death. So Festus, Felix, they all knew that Paul was not, was, was not guilty but they were pl simply playing political games with the Jews in an effort to quell the uprising that was in the air already by this time. For if I be an offender, Paul said, or I have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. In other words, if I've done it, I'll pay the price. But if there be none of these things where these accuse me, no man's going to deliver me unto them. Not you, not Felix. I appeal to Caesar. Notice that Paul readily admits, if I've done something wrong, I'll pay for it. However, if I've done nothing wrong, and you know, and you know full well that I've done that nothing wrong, I appeal my case to Caesar. Again, only a Roman citizen could have done this. Paul knew his rights, and he demanded his rights. You know, I think that's the same with us today. You know, I get a little tired of little weak-spined Christians making it sound like the church needs to lay down and die and let the world run over them. I don't think we should. Uh, I believe we should stand up for what we have in this world. We should have a spine in regards to these things. Paul did. Paul didn't let the Jews run over him. Paul didn't let the Romans run over him. He knew his rights, and he stood up for his rights. Because not only are you standing up for your rights, but you're standing up for, for your children's rights. You're standing up for your grandchildren's rights. I mean, if, if we today let them take away our First Amendment, Second Amendment rights, our children are going to lose those rights. Our grandchildren are going to use those rights or lose those rights. Modern-day Christians need to get a spine. Instead, you know, they, they hide behind their, quote, morals, 
you know, and they say, well, well, I, I, I can't vote for this one because, because he's a bad man. You know, well, you'll never vote again, my friend. I mean, you're not calling a pastor. Uh, you're not placing a Sunday school teacher. You're, you're, ta- you're putting someone in office that will protect your rights and the rights of your children and the rights of your grandchildren, the rights of your family, the rights of your nation. Again, I just, you know, I don't, I don't go for that at all. Um, and I, and I used to say, well, that's just the way, you know, you're, you're convicted. That's your conviction. I don't believe that. I think it's gutless. I think we live in a world where we would just much rather say, um, I'm an independent. No, that's just just your little little way of saying you don't want to commit. Because let me tell you something: when you look at party platforms, there's no independent. There's one of them you cannot vote for and still believe the Bible. Period. So you know, just come on out and say it. <laughs> you know, you you you're a coward. You don't want to admit uh, that you stand on the Bible. And, and I tell people every day, you don't need to be looking at people. You do not need to be looking at personalities. Everybody on that ballot come November will be dead in 10 years, okay, at, at the top of that ballot at least. You're not voting for them. You're voting for the future of a country. You're voting for the direction of a country. You're voting for two political platforms, and you and only one of them can reasonably fit. I'm not saying it can perfectly fit. Not at all. But you got to go with with the best one that fits, and there's only one that fits into that biblical worldview, my friend. Period. So, in conclusion, I believe that much of Paul's appeal was based upon a knowledge that he knew the Lord wanted him to go to Rome. So why not let Rome pay the transportation? You remember in Acts twenty three eleven, and that night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou also bear witness of me in Rome. So Paul knew he was going to Rome. Paul knew he wasn't going to get a fair shake with Felix or Festus. He sure knew he wasn't going to get a fair shake if they took him back to Jerusalem. So he said, Just let me go to Rome. That's where the Lord wants me to go anyway. Well, God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning, 6.30 a.m. God bless you until then.